last four state championships in his classification, his team has won. He's a good football coach. But I didn't ask him here today because he's a good football coach. Because I could have found a lot of those. I asked him here today because he's a football coach that loves Jesus and he loves young men. And I want him to share his story, God's word, with you guys. So let's give him a big thanks for being here. It's yours. Good morning. If you don't mind, I'm going to pray before I start. So I don't, I'm going to pray that I don't say anything stupid and wrong. And uh, let's pray. Lord, we're coming before you today. I just want to praise and thank you for loving us, Lord. Praise and thank you for Jesus Christ, Lord, who came and died on the cross for our sins so that we may have forgiveness for our sins and eternal life. Lord, I pray that you be with me as I speak, Lord, that you would be glorified and that you would be speaking through me, uh, Lord, and, and, and not me. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I am a football coach. Um, so in football, it's either good or it's bad. So I tend to speak that way, um, and so I want you to understand, I completely understand God is full of mercy and grace, but at the end of the day, it's either right or it's wrong, and, and so that's kind of how I speak. You know, I hope you don't get up and leave in the middle. Uh, God, I am a sinner. I sin every day. I am not perfect, but when you, when you preach the Word of God, the cha- what I believe is you're preaching to the church. You're, you're preaching to people that, that love God, that know God. You want to encourage, you want to equip, and you want to challenge. And so when I get into the Word of God, it's always a challenge. God shows me where I don't measure up, and He's constantly sanctifying me, growing me in Jesus Christ. And that's what I, you know, that's when I preach, that's just kind of how I, how I do it. Now, I've never preached in front of a church before. I preach in front of the boys all the time. You know, so I'm used to them not listening to me, and I just keep on going. So uh, my wife can stand up and cut me off when it's time for me to be done. But I want to start off with this. This week I was at a conference. It was a Christian education conference, and the, and the guy, teachers can't help themselves. They always have to come up with these, they think, creative ways to do things. But they're teaching educators, so we're all, we're all locked in. But he, but he asked the question, what is flourishing at your Christian school, or what is flourishing? Now, you can't just tell us the answer. Your teacher always has to put you in little groups, and y'all discuss it, you know. And his end game is to, make, to let us all know we all don't have the same definition of what flourishing is. And my whole thing is like, man, he just wasted 15 minutes. He could have told us we didn't know what flourishing was, and he could have defined it for us, and we could have been done. But, so I just sat there because I, I don't like getting in groups. I don't want to do that stuff. So I just sat there, and was just waiting for him to tell, tell me what flourishing is. But while I was just sitting there, I thought about what flourishing is at a Christian school. What is flourishing in your home? What is, what is flourishing in the eyes of Jesus Christ? And I think, number one, flourishing is that Christ is proclaimed. That Christ is proclaimed. That doesn't mean that people are going to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But as a football coach speaking to young men every single day, I want them to know who Christ is because I want to plant that seed. Who knows when God is going to make that seed grow? I tell my coaches all the time, God's not going to let the seed grow. When, we're, when they're around us, then we'll get prideful and arrogant and think that we're doing it. The seed will grow later on. They remain pretty much young and dumb when they're with me. And that's for, that's for me. Because if they were to just become, some of them do, but if they were just become lights and these great ambassadors of Jesus Christ, I would be arrogant like, man, I'm great. So 
to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And then the second area of flourishing, which is, you know, which is God is in this, is to know Jesus Christ as, as Lord and Savior. That's flourishing. You get a community who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you will see a community that is flourishing. Now, we don't control that salvation aspect of things. That's, that's what I believe. We proclaim, I mean, we control the, the proclamation of the gospel. We control telling people about God so that they may know God, but the, the salvation, salvation is of God. The author and perfecter of our faith is Jesus Christ. And then the third area of flourishing is not just sitting there knowing Christ and have surrendering to Christ, but it is growing in Christ. So I'm going to speak to you guys today, ladies and gentlemen, as people who are in pursuit of a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the topic of the sermon today is we are desperate to be relevant in this world and therefore we are slaves. And here's the, and I want to go back into what, what are you talking about? Think about it. Just think about social media. Think about Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are desperate for the world to accept us. And we'll do anything in the world for the world to accept us. I think tonight or tomorrow night or something, there's these people that are going to cross. They're on like a little line, and they're, they're going to walk across, and it's on TV. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I've seen the commercial. I'm not going to watch it because I can't watch somebody fall to their death. But I was just sitting there thinking, why would a human being walk across a tightrope? And why would they do that? Because this is why man will do anything for glory. Anything. I, I ask this. Why does a man want to walk to the top of Mount Everest? I've seen those shows. Like, why is this interesting? I can get in a plane or a, and, and see that very same view that they're seeing and not die. Why does man want this? Man will do anything for glory because we're sinners. And we rebelled against God. So as a football coach, I am desperate to know my opponent. Who is my opponent? Who am I up against? We'll watch film. We'll analyze film. We'll break it down. All this kind of stuff. We'll see where we can attack our opponent. We'll, we'll watch them on offense and see who their best players are. And we'll stop those best players. And, and we'll find a way. I have to know who my opponent is. As a Christian, as you are a Christian, you must know your opponent. And who is your number one opponent? You. You are your number one opponent. Your sinful self. And yes, Satan. He's an instigator. He has no claim on you, but he entices you. And in our slaved state of sin, he is our master. We follow him. That's who we are. That's our opponent. I am a sinner. And until I die or Jesus returns, I will be a sinner. But God's challenge is that I grow and be sanctified. Everybody wants to know what their will is. What's God's will for my life? What is my purpose? He answers it in 1 Thessalonians. The will for you, God's will for you is your sanctification. What is sanctification? Your growth in Christ. He doesn't care how much money you make. He doesn't care how much glory you get on this earth. He cares that you are growing in Jesus Christ. I tell people all the time, people are like, 
man, it's time for you to go on to the next level. I'm like, how do you know that God's purpose is for me to go to the next level? God might call me to be a missionary in a third world country and nobody ever know who I am. And that would be more and just as good as being the next Nick Saban in the eyes of God. He doesn't care what your worldly status is. He is the king. He is the king. And he offers us to be sons of God. So who is man? Who are we in this fallen state? Number one, the fall. Right? Because, uh, think about what Adam and, Adam and Eve in the garden. God made everything good. They knew no sin. But they, but they had the ability to sin. But they knew no sin. Everything was good. There was no death. There was no sickness. There was no cancer. There was no, no flu. There was, there was no anything. It was good. And they were going to live forever, forever until they were tempted by Satan. And Satan lied to them because God told them if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they will die. And Satan says, no, you won't die. You'll just become like God, knowing good and evil. God wanted to protect man from evil. But Satan tempted man to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil so that we would know evil and it, unle it unleashed sin upon us. And man was cursed. That's why work is hard. That's why there's sickness. That's why there's death. That's why there's calamity. And it goes right back into man, Adam and Eve, eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And sometimes we, we get mad at Adam and Eve. We'd have done the same thing. We'd have done the same thing. Number two, you know, there's two yous in you as a Christian. There's two yous in you. We have the flesh and it's sinful. When you become a Christian, God gave, you a, God gave us a soul and God gave us a, a body of flesh. Okay. Now, when we're not a Christian, there aren't two yous in you. I mean, you are, you are pure evil. The Bible speaks to that. The heart of man is desperately sick in Jeremiah. Wicked. It's what God did in the time of Noah. He killed everybody, right? Because everybody was wicked. Nobody sought after God. No, not one. That's what the Bible says. But when we become Christians, there's now two people in us. There's the Holy Spirit living inside of us, telling us how to live for Jesus Christ. And then there's the flesh that still rages war against the Holy Spirit. And we will not be free from that war until Jesus returns or we die and go to heaven. But on this earth, there is that war. Now here, here's the challenge for Christians. We can fight the war every single day or we can just be defeated. And then we're useless and we're powerless for the kingdom of God. Now I want to challenge you with this. Uh, in Judges, it tells us, who, who is man in Judges? So you, you have the Israelites. They've come out. God has brought the Israelites. He's freed them. He's made a nation of, of his own people. But it's just, he, all, he, all the Old Testament is, is it's pointing that we need a better Savior. And the Judges, they start to rebel against God. And the Bible, many times in Judges, we hear this. In the Bible, it says this, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And as they did what was right in their own eyes, they got further and further away from Christ. They got further and further away from God. And that's where, that's where we live today in America. Okay? I, you know, I was talking earlier, I don't know if we're a Christian nation or not. Okay? I'm pretty sure that we're not. We're Babylon. But here's the deal. In our culture today, everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. There is no standard of truth. We're godless. And so 
you, we get what we get. We kick God out. We want to do what's right in our own eyes. And there is no end to the depravity of man. And then you read in, in John, which I'm going to talk a little bit about later, people, it says this, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Why, were they, why, did, why was Jesus crucified? Because they loved the praise of man more than they loved the praise of God. That's a challenging statement to myself. Do you love the praise of man more than you love the praise of God? But here's the problem. God's not going to come on Twitter or Instagram and praise you. He's not going to like your tweets. He's not going to retweet your tweets. The more demonic and vile our tweets and our Instagram posts are, the more likely they are to get retweets and likes. The more holy our tweets are and our Instagram posts are, the less likely they are to get likes and retweets. So what do we do? We get more vile. Because we want the praise of man and we reject the praise of God because the praise of God comes through the Holy Spirit into our soul. And unfortunately for us, God doesn't sit there and proclaim how great you are. Because he doesn't care how great you are. You exist to, to exalt and, and, and talk about how great he is. So man is godless chasing and pursuing his own glory just like the men building the Tower of Babel. You know God... After Adam and Eve ate the apple, the fall happened. If you go back and read Genesis 3 and Genesis 8, you'll see how what a depraved state the world was in. First thing that happens, right? Right after Adam and Eve ate the apple, what's the first thing that happened? Cain killed Abel. Murder. And it's just this vicious cycle. And it was so bad, so wretched, so evil that then God sent the flood. And the only reason why God doesn't flood again is because he promised Noah that he wouldn't. Every time you see a rainbow, you can thank God because we deserve it. We deserve it, but he's not going to do it because that was his promise. We are just like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. We are, de we are deserving of the swift judgment of God. It is by his grace we do not get it. We look upon the world and we see calamity and people say, how can there be a God that allows this? And, but, we, but as Christians, we need to see, say, by the grace of God, he lets us live. We've rebelled and rejected a holy God. And we wonder how, how calamity happens. But what we should be doing is wonder why calamity has not happened to me. And be thanking God, I am saved by the grace of God. I deserve death. I deserve hell. But by, because Jesus Christ came and died for my sin, I have life. There was nothing I could do. And then that's when Jesus, uh, when you understand that, that's when Jesus becomes precious. I deserve death. I deserve hell. Why? I'm a sinner. I rebelled against God. I rejected a holy God. But Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for my sins so that I may have eternal life. That's when Jesus becomes precious. You'll quit asking Jesus for money and power and fame when you understand that your sin deserves hell and Jesus paid the price for it. You can't ask for anything more now. Many look and see the calamity. Oh, I already talked about that. John 7, 7. People hated Jesus because he testified that man's works were evil. I was just talking to the, to the men, and I was talking about, you know, Drake's music being evil. I was talking about 21 Savage's music being evil. The world will crucify you if you say that. How dare you say Jay-Z and, and Drake are evil? 
But their music is evil. You can listen to it if you want. It's not godly. It doesn't sanctify you. It actually drives you in the other direction. But you can't say, but, but why can't we say that? Because people hated Jesus because he testified that man's works were evil. Well, who tells me that this is evil? The Holy Spirit tells me that it's evil. Who tells me that pornography is bad? The Holy Spirit tells me that it's bad. And, and what are we supposed to do when God gives us a revelation, when God shows us his truth in his word, we're supposed to proclaim it. That's what God commands us to do. When we keep our mouths shut, that's when we're sinning. That's when we're no longer ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. I can sit up here and preach to the church, to you, but it's hard to go out there into the world and say these things because you will be rejected. And you got to understand something. Jesus did say these things, and he was what? Crucified. We hate God because we want to do what we want to do with no effects. We want sex out of, outside of marriage, outside of God's regulations. We want to kill babies when they provide an inconvenience. We want to marriage outside of God's rule. We want, we want the glory. We want to think our work got us where we are. God gets in our way. We just want to get rid of God. We hate him because he testifies our works are evil. But here's the problem. He is God, and we will answer to him. The Christian understands that. The godless man does not understand that. The Christian understands, I will stand before the Father. Joshua 24, 15. This is where I get as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what the world tells me is right. I don't care if the world tells me abortion is right. I don't care if the world tells me that uh, all this other evil stuff is right. I don't care if the music tells me that sex outside of marriage is right. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and his commands are my commands, and I will follow them. Now, I won't always do that. I'm going to sin. But my heart desires that. And then I get to this point right here, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Think about that. You, you in the flesh, the sinful self, crucify him, crucify her. And now it's Christ that lives inside of you. His rules, his laws, his commands, that's flourishing. Your life will flourish. You'll be a good husband. You'll be a good mother. You'll, you'll, be a, you'll be a good wife. You'll be a good dad. You'll be a man who looks to serve rather than to be served. You'll go into the community looking to, for what you can give rather than for what you can get. Finishing Galatians 2.20, In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You'll live every single day in the faith of God, understanding that this world that we live in is dead and that we are striving every single day to live in the kingdom of God. And if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you already are living in the kingdom of God, but we're waiting for Jesus to return so that all sin will be gone. <clears throat> I want to read this poem to you because as a football coach, this is where a lot of football coaches live. A lot of, you know, a lot of women probably like this, a lot of men. My world is a, is a men world. And, and, and men think that they're the master of their fate. So it's the Invictus poem. And, you know, you'll, you can go on YouTube and you can see all this. You can see people quoting it and everybody's like, yes. And, and just think about it, how demonic it actually is. But this is our world. This is the world's poem. 
Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I think whatever gods may be for my uh, unconquerable soul. Complete heresy. Our souls are conquered already. In 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 the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud under the bludgeonings of chance. My head is bloody, but unbowed. What he's saying is I'll bow to no one. So he thinks. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. (laughs) There will be no scarier moment in our life than when we die and stand before God. This guy right here, he wrote this while he was on earth. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And, and people quote this left and right, and they believe it. If you were the captain of your soul, then why can't you defeat death? Not one person in here, not one person on this planet can defeat death. It is the master of our fate. But, Jesus Christ. I want to read you guys this. Steve Jobs. Everybody knows Steve Jobs. If you don't know Steve Jobs, you need to know Steve Jobs. Because we're all addicted to the, his little things that he created. The iPhone, the iPad, all that kind of stuff. That's Steve Jobs. He was the CEO, CEO of Apple. He, when he died, he was worth, they, they, they say it could have been more, $10.2 billion. Now, how can a man worth $10.2 billion, how does he die at 56? That doesn't make any sense. Surely you can live forever. Surely you have enough money to, to find the best doctors and to cure you of whatever. Here's what Steve Jobs, he was not a Christian. Here's what he says at the end of his life. I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In some others' eyes, my life is the epitome of success. However, aside from the work, I have little joy. In the end, my wealth is only a fact of life that I am accustomed to. At this moment, lying on my deathbed and recalling my life, I realize that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of my death. You can employ someone to drive the car for you, make money for you, but you cannot have someone bear your sickness for you. He didn't know Jesus. Because Jesus will bear that for you. Material things lost can be found or replaced, but there is one thing that can never be found when it's lost, life. He's wrong. In fact, if you believe in Jesus Christ, when you die, you find life. Whichever stage in life you are in right now, with time, you will face the day when the curtain comes down. Treasure love for your family, love for your spouse, love for your friends. Treat yourself well and cherish others. As we grow older and hopefully wiser, we will realize that a $300 or a $30 watch both tell the same time. You will realize that your true inner happiness does not come from the material things of this world. Whether you fly first class or economy, if the plane goes down, you go down with it. Therefore, I hope you realize when you have mates, buddies, and old friends, brothers and sisters, who you can chat with, laugh with, talk with, sing songs with, talk about north, south, east, west, or heaven and earth, that is true happiness. Don't educate your children to be rich which is what we do. Educate them to be happy, but we tell them riches is happiness. 
So when they grow up, they will know the value of things and not the price. Eat your food as your medicine, otherwise you will have to eat medicine as your food. The one who loves you, key word is love, will never leave you for another because even if there are a hundred reasons to give up, he or she will find a reason to hold on. There is a big difference between a human being and a being human. I don't understand what he's saying. Only, only a few really understand it. You are loved when you are born. You will be loved when you die. In between, you have to manage. The six best doctors in the world are sunlight, rest, exercise, diet, self-confidence, and friends. Maintain them in all stages and enjoy a healthy life. So that's his message. He never once knew Jesus Christ. He had $10.2 billion, but it couldn't save him. All those things he pursued, he left his family, he left his kids in pursuit of money. Now, what does money get us? Because what does every man after? We're after glory. He chased it, he got it, but he's 56 and he's on his deathbed and it doesn't give you what you need, doesn't save you. Why don't we pursue what will save us? We're all striving to live forever. And Jesus shows you how, he shows you the way. But we don't want it. So I'm going to uh, summarize. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, I, I want to show you how man is real quick, and then I'm going to summarize using Ephesians 2. But I want to use the story of Lazarus from John 11 and 12. So you have Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were friends of Jesus, okay? Lazarus dies. Mary and Martha knew that Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead. So they call, hey, come and heal Lazarus. Come save him from death. Jesus waited. And the, and the Bible says that he waited four days to go after the death of Lazarus. And, and, and when you read the commentary on why did he wait four days, the reason is because back then they thought that the spirit would return back to the body within four days of death. So Jesus was going to wait four days because he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he was going to make sure that he waited four days so nobody thought, oh, that's just the spirit returned to the body. It wasn't Jesus. So that's why he waited four days. And, and Mary and Martha are a little bit mad that he waited four days. They were aggravated with him because they knew. They knew that he could save. And so I can't remember which one it was, Mary or Martha. She goes to Jesus, and she's like, he's dead. And Jesus is like, I can save him. And, she, and, and, um, and they're having a talk, and Jesus says this, John eleven twenty five through 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And that's God's promise. I am the resurrection of the life and the life. And the only reason that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead is so that he could show everybody that he had the power over death so that people would believe in him and that he would believe that he could resurrect them into heaven. And that's why he raised Lazarus, the physical Lazarus. So everyone would see, oh, this is the Christ. John eleven forty seven through 48. Now, the chief priests of the land, they hated this. Just like the people in our land, they hate us talking about God. They hate the name of Jesus Christ. John eleven forty seven forty eight. 48. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? This is right after. Everybody knew Lazarus was dead. Everybody has seen Lazarus be raised from the dead by Jesus. The Pharisees are scared to death. Why are they scared to death? What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. 
They cared more about their earthly possessions than what and than God, than Jesus Christ. They chose their earthly possessions, and they that made that day. That was the day after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That's the day they decided we are going to crucify Jesus. We're going to kill him because he is is impacting my world. So you can't come out and condemn the the rap music of today. They'll condemn you. They'll crucify you because you're threatening their money. And we were talking earlier, I read uh, this week, where America has become the number one center of sex trafficking in the United States. Well, the natural thing to do is accuse the music, accuse the, uh, the movies, and accuse pornography. But you can't do that because then you're going to impact people's means of making money. So we just point fingers. That's what the government does. They point fingers back and forth at each other, but nobody can really get to the root of the problem. It's the music, it's the TV, it's the, it's the movies, and it's the pornography. That drives sex trafficking. That's why America's number one. Because I guarantee you we're the number one peddler of trash when it comes to music and movies and pornography in the world. So therefore, it only makes sense that this would be the epicenter of sex trafficking. Everybody's confused, can't believe it. Why can you not believe it? But we can't say it. We can't say it. Because, because if you talk about Drake and you talk about the pornography industry, you start messing with people's money. Just like right here. And when Jesus started messing with people's power, and Jesus started messing with people's money, they crucified him. And as Christians, we have to be ready. I have a little boy that's six. That's what he's growing up into. Because Christians, more and more and more, will be crucified. And then, not only did they try to crucify, or did, they, cru- tried, uh, they did crucify Jesus, but they made this in John 12, 10, and 11. They said this. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on an account of Lazarus, many Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. They were losing power and influence, the God of man. And then in John 12, 43, for they love the glory that comes from man than the glory that comes from God. And as Christians... As Christians, we have to ask ourselves. I have to ask myself, do I crave the glory of man more than I crave the glory that comes from God? And the glory that comes from man and the pursuit of it leads to death, eternal death, hell. But the pursuit of the glory of God leads to heaven, eternal heaven. So, you, so we have to make a choice while here, we're here on this earth. We have to make a choice. Are you going to pursue the glory of the world? And, and, and you might, it might end today for you. It might end tomorrow. You might live 20 more years. You might live till you're 100. But it will end. Are we going to trade in temporal glory for eternal glory? Jesus came and died because he understood eternity. He understood that this is just a small speck in your life here on this earth. And he wanted to save us from what is way more dangerous, and that's hell. And that's why he came. And that's why he's precious. And that's why it's dangerous when we ask God for worldly success. Give me this, Lord. Give me this blessing. Give me that blessing. I gave you the blessing. It's Jesus Christ. Quit asking me for more. 
So all of this can be summarized in Ephesians 2. It's one of my favorite passages. And I just want to go through it and I'll be done. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now think about that. We were dead. And, and some of you still may be, but you're hearing the gospel. Some of us were dead. Our hearts were dead to Christ and to everything that we were created for. And we are chasing our own glory, chasing and pursuing self. And we will destroy anything in our path. Why does a man leave his wife for his own glory? Why does a man leave his family for his own glory? Chasing after his own glory. The very things that God, the very gifts that God has given us, our wife and our children, we, we, we say it's not good enough, God, and we go chasing something else. And then Steve Jobs is telling you, you should have pursued that. This $10.2 billion I have, it's nothing. It's nothing. He would tell you, do not chase worldly riches. Don't chase it. And it says this in verse 3, among, we all were these people, we all were lost, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and, man, and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who we were. We were slaves of this world. You still might, might, might be a slave of this world. It's still a temptation. And sometimes I become a slave to the world in certain areas, but God brings me back. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you can get off track, but he's going to bring you back. He's going to bring you back because that's his promise. That's his promise to his people, to his believers. But our life is much better if we just follow Christ, if we just do what the Bible says, if we just follow his commands. Our life is much better. Our paths are straight. And so uh, it seems hopeless, right? We're sons of disobedience, sons of dis destruction. People are like, they don't understand. They're like, well, how do you have so much patience with high school kids? I'm like, Ephesians 3, they're sons of destruction. I'm hoping they get saved. I was them. They can't do anything more dumb than what I did. They just come up with better ways to do it. The more efficient ways to sin they come up with. But I'm like, they're sons of destruction. I love them. I'm hoping God saves them. They do something stupid. I tell them it's stupid. I keep loving them. They're slaves. They're slaves to sin. I tell them, I gave a 30-minute lecture on 21 Savage and how his music is trash, and then the kid pulls out of the uh, parking lot playing 21 Savage. Son of destruction. I tell him the next day, you're just son of destruction, man. I'm praying you get saved. But, I mean, I, we're planting seeds, right? But I was that guy. I was the one listening to Snoop Dogg. I was the one listening to all that junk. I was that guy. I get it. You know? I was making fun of the 21 Savage song because he has a song called Drinking and Driving. I was like, that's the dumbest song. But then I was thinking about, I used to drive around listening to uh, Snoop Dogg sipping on gin and juice. I'm like, I did that. But that's who we are. Like, I was a son of destruction. I wasn't a Christian. I love that stuff. I mean, he's, he's talked about smoking weed. I loved it. 
And now I'm yelling at the kids because they're listening to it. I got to remind myself they're trying to destruction. Save them, Lord. But um, and so, but by grace you have been saved. So why am I not judgmental to that kid? Because I was him. By grace I have been saved. Who am I to give up on that guy? Who am I to not love that guy? And I and I talk about twenty one. I love twenty one savage. I want him to accept Christ as his Lord and Savior, and I want him to go to heaven. That doesn't mean I can't say what you're saying is wrong, what you're doing is wrong. And I can't, that doesn't mean just because I don't love that football player, I can't say what you're doing is wrong and what you're doing is immoral, but I still love you. By grace we have been saved. And, ra- and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I think one of the worst things the church is doing, not this church, but a, a, a group of churches in, in the prosperity gospel, they're telling you that there's more to the riches of Christ than of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. That's immeasurable riches. That is, when you wear the shirt blessed, that's what you should be thinking about, not your material things. Your immeasurable riches are simple. It's one thing. His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. If you think it's money, if you think it's power, if you think it's fame, if you think it's those things, if you think it's God's favor with material blessings, you're, you're sinning, you're wrong. Immeasurable graces, immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God can give you enough money to buy a Lamborghini. That Lamborghini can't get you into heaven. The, the, the treasure is, the riches are the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we should pray for. We should pray that God help me only value. Oh, may I only find value in the blood of Jesus Christ. May I find no value in any material thing on this earth but Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. You understand that? He created us at the beginning of time, his time, for his glory and his honor, and that is our purpose. And if you're chasing any other purpose than that, you will find yourself lost and hopeless, and you'll never find it. I always talk to the boys about Le'Veon Bell. $16 million wasn't enough. He was upset. Todd Gurley got $21 million, so he wasn't going to play for $16 million. you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me! And this, is, and, and my players read Le'Veon's tweets. I'm like, y'all just got dumber. Every time you read one of his tweets, you get dumber. You know, this man gave up 16 million because he was jealous somebody else had 21 million. But Le'Veon, and I pray Le'Veon accept Christ as his Lord and Savior. But Le'Veon is his own workmanship. He exists for his glory, and he was ticked that Todd Glory got a Todd Glory, Todd Gurley got more glory than him, right? Because glory in our world is measured by your money. He was ticked about it. He didn't understand. Oh, no, Le'Veon. It's not about that, man. You are God's workmanship made for His glory and His honor. What if you took that $16 million and you sent it to a third world country and you've been feeding people for about 15 years, 16 years? What if you did that, man? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
So I'm going to pray for us. That's, that's, that's all I have for you today. And like I say, I just want to make this caveat. I am not perfect. That's God's challenge to me every single day because I am in the flesh a man who pursues his own glory. I, I, I want people to think I'm a good football coach. God smacks me and says, hey man, it's not about you, it's about me. Who cares if you're a good football coach? You should be reflecting my glory and my honor. It's about you honoring me me being a great God and me being the sending Jesus Christ to be the Savior of the world. It is not about you being a good football coach. But we chase that. We want that. But God offers us freedom. And this is what I found out in my life. I'm in, I was enslaved to that. And guess what? Like he said, we've won five state championships. Guess how many more I need? One more. I need one more. You're never going to get it. You're never going to You're never going to get it. How much more money did we need? Never going to get it. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you today. I just want to praise and thank you for loving us, Lord. I praise and thank you for every member in this room. Lord, I praise and thank you for your word. Lord, I praise and thank you for your grace. Lord, I did not deserve to be saved. Lord, I deserved. I rebelled against you. I rejected you. Even in faith, I still do that, Lord. Lord, I did not deserve your mercy. I did not deserve Jesus Christ coming into this world and dying for my sins. And Lord, right now I pray that anyone in here who, Lord, it could be two things. It could be one, Lord, they want to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that, that they would walk up during the music, Lord, and, and give their life to Christ. Lord, or I pray that they would find a member of this church or me. And Lord, that they would surrender and, and somebody to pray with them and walk with them in surrendering their life to Christ. And Lord, I know there's some believers in here who have strayed off the beaten path. And Lord, they, they, they're, 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 they're getting away from you. I pray, Lord, that you would bring them back. Lord, that they would recommit their life to Jesus Christ. Lord, and may we not get lost in the lives of the world that tells us that money and power and fame is what we're after, Lord, but what we are after you have already sent, and that's Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.